This is Commission President Ryan Calkins convening the special meeting of October 25th, 2022. The time is 10.05 a.m. We're meeting in person today at the Museum of Flight in the Skyline Room and virtually through Microsoft Teams. This is a commission study session. Present with me today are Commissioners Cho, Asagawa, and Muhammad joining virtually. This session is being recorded and broadcast on the Ports website at meetings.portseattle.org. I'll note for the record that all commissioners uh, are in attendance at this time, with the exception of Commissioner Fellman, who is absent and excused from the meeting. The meeting is open to the public, however, as it is a study session for the commission. No public comment or action will be taken. The next public comment period will occur at the regular business meeting later today, beginning at noon. The purpose of the study session is to discuss the 2023 state legislative agenda. Executive Director Metric, please get us started. Commissioners, good morning. This morning, as uh, President Calkins has said, you'll hold a study session on the 2023 state legislative agenda for the Port of Seattle. We've not traditionally discussed the subject in a study session format. However, I am pleased that we have this dedicated sufficient time today to give this important topic our full attention. As we've seen over the past few years, we increasingly look to state policy and funding to help us achieve some of our most important operational, environmental, and community-oriented goals. And so, taking this time to determine our advocacy priorities for 2023 is time well spent. Before we discuss next year's state legislative agenda, I want to start by acknowledging the impactful, impactful work that Senior Manager Eric Fitch and his government relations colleagues, including our contract lobbyist Trent House, have been able to advance over the past few years. First and foremost, among our past priorities was the passage in 2021 of a low carbon fuel standard, a long-time port priority that is key to our ability to achieve implementation of sustainable aviation fuels at Seattle Tacoma International Airport. Staff are currently working through the State Department of Ecology rulemaking process to ensure that the low carbon fuel standard, or LCFS, policy meets our needs. With the state LCFS combined with the passage of the Climate Commitment Act, we are excited to continue to work with our state partners towards the port's decarbonization goals. To that end, in, in 2022, our staff worked to secure $2 million in state funding for the port's Pier 66 shore power project. On the community side, the port worked hard to ensure $1 million in state funding for outreach and recruitment for the Maritime High School as well. In addition, key pieces of legislation signed by the governor last year included an apprenticeship bill and increased access to restrooms for drayage truck drivers. Finally, in terms of transportation, last year's $16.9 billion state transportation package included full funding for the Puget Sound Gateway Program, increased vehicle electrification funding, and a $3 billion investment in transit, as well as $150 million for high-speed rail. Separate from the Move Ahead Washington package, but included in the transportation budget, the Northwest Seaport Alliance received $400,000 to establish a zero emission truck collaborative. These are only a few examples of the great work that our state government relations staff does on behalf of the port. I also want to thank you, commissioners, for your, for your personal engagement during the legislative session, from meeting with senators and representatives to testifying in hearings. It's a team effort, and I know that 2023 will bring similar opportunities and appreciate your all your efforts to that end with that introduction 
I am now pleased to invite Eric Fitch, Senior Government Relations Manager, to provide an overview of the draft 2023 state legislative agenda for your discussion. And really, I know for Eric, is usually at the end of, of a long thing when he gets to do this, so I'm, I'm glad we're able to have him here this morning. Eric. Yeah, thanks. Um, thank you for making some, some extra time. I, I <laughs> gotten very accustomed to ramming this through at the end, so uh, careful what you wish for. Now we've got a lot of time for discussion, but um, I, I think it's um, a, a good year to have extra time. We're going into a, a long legislative session, back to in-person session, so I'll spend a little bit of time at the beginning talking about what that's going to look like, talking about what to expect out of Olympia, and, and then turning to some of our specific priorities. Um, to just to start off, thank you for the, the very kind introduction. Some of the work reference there was, was led, in fact, by the Seaport Alliance uh, legislative staff, which are uh, often a partner of ours in Olympia. I'll make reference to a few specific partnerships we can expect between the port and um, the Northwest Seaport Alliance this session. And then, of course, um, conspicuously absent, especially given the size of the table, is Trent House, our contract lobbyist. Not able to join uh, today, but, but he's um, been actively involved in the development of the agenda and will be uh, active in our legislative program in Olympia coming up. So um, if we can go to the overview slide, Michelle, I want to, like I said, mention a few things about what we can expect in Olympia this session. So it is a long session, 105-day session. Um, in the odd-numbered years, the legislature convenes for a 105-day session as stipulated by the Constitution, and they write a biennial budget. So it'll be a budget for fiscal years 23 and 24. Um, they, they will uh, adopt before they adjourn an operating budget and a transportation budget and in most cases a capital budget. Um, we have seen pretty large surpluses in the, the budget forecasts over the last few years. Uh, indications over the last couple of forecasts suggest that those are, are coming down. Um, this is typically where Trent you know, weighs in with his 20 years of Olympia expertise, so I'll try to do an impression of him. Um, but, but there will be quite a bit of focus on, on balancing the state budget. The, there is a small surplus currently, but the next budget forecast that comes in is not expected to include a surplus. Um, and there are obligations um, coming to the legislature that will increase the base budget by several billion dollars, and, and the legislators will have to find a way to, to fund those. And on the other side of that, I know there's quite a bit of interest in the commission and, and across the port in uh, revenue derived from the Climate Commitment Act, the state's cap and invest legislation. And um, so we have ideas and, and plans for how we can make sure the state sees some opportunity in, in all of the ports, myriad investments in, in decarbonization and other important work. Um, <clears throat> as I mentioned, for the first time since 2020, there will, this will be an in-person legislative session, at least as all indications suggest now. Um, so I'll be down in Olympia. The legislators will be down in Olympia. We'll be inviting you all down to Olympia for, for events like Maritime Day or our, our annual advocacy day. Uh, ports and Maritime Day, excuse me, um, and also for testimony. But um, importantly, there will be still uh, a virtual testimony option. You, you all might remember that in, in 2020, actually, there was kind of a pilot going on to see if remote testimony could make it easier for people to um, interact with their legislators from across the state um, or, or from wherever they were. And, and <laughs> then we saw two really really active pilot programs in, in 21 and 22 in an all virtual session. So I, I think that the feedback has been positive about the 
improved access and transparency that's promoted by by the hybrid format with in-person testimony and remote testimony. And importantly for us, um, I'm glad to say last year we had, I think each of you testified at least at some point, um, which doesn't always happen when it requires driving down to Olympia. So uh, we will absolutely try to get commissioners signed up for testimony on our priority issues, but also um, try to get you to Olympia if we can. Um, this is a point of uh, you know my own personal interest, but hopefully interesting to you all as well. It will be our second year with a graduate intern. Last year we had a graduate student from the Evans School of Public Policy who supported me while I was on the ground in Olympia, and she, and she did a ton of work organizing our legislative program, supporting it with research. Uh, so we're, we're going to have another position uh, like that this year. It'll be even more important in a long session and with me physically in Olympia for most of the week. So I'll be excited to introduce them to you when they when they get here. Um, that covers the, the sort of logistics. The, I won't belabor the next bullet on agenda development, but maybe for, for any of the public who are tuned in, um, this, this document uh, evolves every year. So some of what I'll highlight for you are successes that we have enjoyed, some of which uh, Executive Director Metric summarized, um, which result in changes to the agenda. You know, we had a whole weighty section in here last year on the transportation revenue package and what our specific priorities were within that package. Commissioner Hasegawa testified to those priorities <laughs> several times, waiting several hours at certain times to testify. And that, that package passed. So I've, I've taken a lot of that out of the agenda. We still have a ton of transportation priorities, but I like to remove things from the agenda because it means that we got them done. So that's one example. And then, of course, you'll see some updates that reflect core priorities and then ongoing work. And I'll try to call those out w w when you see them. Um, there are also several instances where the agenda is still under development. This is a, a document that evolves based on not just our work, but work others are doing. So I'll note those areas where we expect to have more clarity between now and January 9th when the legislature starts. Um, and before we bring the, this back to you on November 8th for your adoption, we'll summarize what's changed from what you're seeing today into the document you're being asked to adopt um, so that you can see how this is coming together. And with that, I will turn to the document itself. If you could advance the slide, Michelle. Um, and as, as we turn to the issues, and, and I'll pause to give you all a, a second to ask questions on my, my intro, but just a reminder that, that the agenda is broken up for, for organizational purposes into two broad sections. We have priority agenda items, which is sort of the, the front page, the, ma the main, um, not, not exactly, yeah, top priorities, but definitely issues that we're advancing proactively or high profile issues that we expect to be asked to participate in um, or, or matters of enduring port value and port priority. And then the priority issue areas section, which are included here in more summary form, um, are a catalog of areas where we've been involved in the past, where we expect to be involved again, or where we, we know we'll have, again, in, enduring port interest. So before turning specifically to these items in front of you, I'll pause and see if you have any questions on my, my introduction. Any questions so far, commissioners? I'm just not used to having this much time, so I'm just building in lots of dramatic pauses. Um, <laughs> Commissioner oh. Mohammed, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you guys very well. Great. Just chime in if you have questions. We'll do. So starting with um, 
investing in essential workforces, and, and I've discussed this with some of you in our one-on-ones in our -on -ones previewing the, the agenda. This, is, um, this has been on the agenda since the, the COVID pandemic really demonstrated how essential all of the port's workforces are. It has taken different forms, and um, for example, last session, our focus was really on pre-apprenticeship and apprenticeship programs and how the poor or how the state excuse me could support our work in trying to in, in expand opportunity for all of our communities to work in port related industries so a legislation did pass last year that that was sort of an omnibus apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship bill it included language that allows apprenticeships to access funding to support wraparound services that was a priority we advocated for with some of our partners um, this remains an agenda item though because it is, like I said, a matter of enduring port priority and it includes new language that you'll see regarding respectful work sites free of harassment and intimidation. This is feedback I've received specifically from our Office of Equity, Diversity and Inclusion and from our, our team um, working on priority hire. Uh, for all of our work promoting apprenticeships, um, there are still challenges when apprentices get to job sites. We're hearing about them um, more and more frequently, and it's not just us. Other public owners from the city to the county to Sound Transit and more have experienced similar challenges with, with um, respectful work sites. So I've been involved in some conversations about whether there might be a legislative remedy. Uh, the truth is there's a lot of, of good law on the books about, about this issue. So it's on our agenda because it is, I think, a matter of, of core port value. Um, it's not clear yet whether there will be a legislative proposal that we all coalesce around between now and January, but I expect it will be discussed in Olympia, so I want us to be able to be part of the conversation. Um, progressive climate action, again, remains on the agenda from last year. I don't see this going anywhere. It is something we, we work on and think about every day. Um, the language I've added here, which you see bolded, um, calls out a few specific proposals that I do think will come forward that I will recommend we support. So the first one is um, uh, nice because uh, Commissioner Fellman is not here, but every year sort of one of his questions I'm always prepared for is how we're aligning our efforts with the Northwest Seaport Alliance. Uh, and usually I have to give him some roundabout answer and this year I can just point right to our front page. The Seaport Alliance is putting forward a really good budget proposal which I think we should be the, the number one supporter of. They're asking the state to fund critical infrastructure that will allow for the decarbonization of the, the waterfront with shore power at Terminal 18. It also includes funding for a zero emission cargo handling pilot program and for a zero emission trucking pilot program, um, all of which I know you, you are interested and involved in and, and all of which I think we should support. So not, it's not often that I st sit before you and ask for support for another entity's agenda item, but considering that you're half of that entity, I think it's appropriate. Um, next up, uh, this is an item that will be amended based on feedback from, from staff and executives. We are working to identify state partnership on the development of a regional maritime fuels collaborative. Um, it, is, it is not yet concrete. It is not yet an entity. So I'm going to amend this to make it clear that this is still sort of in development. Um, I've name checked Maritime Blue. We are in re regular conversation with them about potential partnership on this. But again, um, this will be amended when you see the final version on November 8th to reflect the fact that this is still in development. It's worth noting that um, the governor uh, recently signed on to an updated uh, Pacific Climate Collaborative 
um, plan update with governors of Oregon, California, and the BC uh, Premier, which did include new language suggesting that there needs to be regional collaboration on the identification of what the next generation maritime fuel is. So whatever this budget item most likely looks like, it will be focused on that goal, which is identifying the next generation clean maritime fuel. And again, I think um, a, a priority that, that's well supported here. Uh, and then finally, to, to make sure we, we reference our, our long-held priority of sustainable aviation fuel deployment here at the Museum of Flight, um, there is a developing language um, from some of our key SAF stakeholders that would put in place an incentive program. It's still not clear how exactly legislation will work, which is why it's not more clearly referenced here, but I do expect there to be a bill coming forward on SAF um, specific, more specific than we've attacked it before. We've always approached it from a low carbon fuel standard angle. Now that we have LCFS enacted, there's a little bit clearer path for how we can incentivize deployment of SAF. And so given our long support for that, I expect that'll be central part of our legislative program as well. And um, to, to conclude this slide, um, this is an, a port priority uh, that's very much related to the previous three slides. And, and since we have a little time, I'll just share my reflection. Um, there is a lot of conversation in Olympia about the, the ramifications of the passage of the Climate Commitment Act, the state's cap and invest bill, and the low carbon fuel standard. They're both in rulemaking. They're both will be enacted within the next year. Um, and, and pretty much everybody agrees that we want to be meeting the goals set forward in those programs with clean fuels developed in Washington State. We have relatively limited renewable fuels development in state currently. Uh, a lot of the renewable fuels that get developed here that get sent to the states that have those, those incentive programs in place. So we, now that we have a low carbon fuel standard here, we want to develop the fuels that, that, that um, comply with that program in Washington. That's a challenge because of the challenge of siting a major new energy facility. So the legislature is going to be focused this year and as it was last year on whether or not we can improve um, the siting process for in-state renewable energy resources. It's, it's a complicated topic. It's a sensitive topic. There has been a state working group looking at it over the last 18 months, which has just put out a draft report. We will be um, reviewing that and potentially providing comment but the, the good news is I think there is pretty much consensus around the need to improve the way we site renewable energy um, facilities in order to be able to meet our goals under the Low Carbon Fuel Standard and the Climate Commitment Act. Um, Melissa, uh, Michelle, if you'd advance the slide, please. Thank you. Um, these are, this is the second slide of our priority agenda items before we move into our priority issue areas. And again, uh, equity and community focus will, will remain a priority agenda item. It's, it's something I hear quite a bit about from the commission and something which I think we are, are poised to advance in Olympia. Um, I, I hate to tell you that reduced local match for community improvements is still on the agenda. <laughs> it, this is a bill that we've been trying to get moved for a few years. Um, and without, without going too deep into the details, basically right now folks who apply for funds under the South King County Fund have to demonstrate that they're providing three times the value of the grant we give to them. That has proven to be such a high bar that certain folks don't apply. We want to expand our pool of applicants. We want to expand the universe of projects we're doing. So several years ago we identified one way of doing that would be re reducing the required match from three to one to two to one. 
Um, we have a bill sponsor, Representative Orwall from the 33rd District has sponsored the bill in the past. We have basically no opposition, I mean no opposition. And uh, it is stalled each session, I think just because it's a small bill with, with a relatively small universe of, of interested supporters. So every year it gets a little bit easier because we get more projects on the ground and more people see what benefits can be provided. Um, and so I'm optimistic that this is the year, but we are, um, we are going to need to push for that, and, and that will be an area I think we'll, we will want commissioners to be actively involved with testimony and like. Um, and then this one's small but mighty and, and near and dear to me. Um, we, every year, work on alternative public works contracting and um, these, these little often overlooked sections of state statute that govern how public agencies give out grants. There are small changes that can be made that would make it easier for us to work with a bigger pool of public contractors to make sure that the public resources that we're providing are going to, to a broad set of the community. Um, and, and again, it, it's, it's struggled to advance, I think, just because it's a relatively small change, but I think we have some momentum behind that this year, and it will remain a port priority. And then finally, before turning to the, the priority issue areas, um, the Quiet Sound program. Yesterday actually was um, subst substantial news came out, which was the beginning of the voluntary vessel slowdown. The Quiet Sound program um, began through some support and, and state leadership providing funding for the um, 21 budget year. And uh, we now have a program director, we have a program manager, we have a program, we have s um, several demonstrated um, wins, and now we have the voluntary vessel slowdown kicking off. So we are going to try to take some of this good work, turn it into legislative momentum, and secure additional state funding for the Quiet Sound program. This has been something that we've um, you know, voted with our dollar. We have put funding toward this. I always say we don't ask the state for money for things that we're not willing to fund ourselves, and this is another good example of that. So I look forward to going down with our partners at Maritime Blue and the Quiet Sound program and asking the state to support that program with additional resources. So that concludes our priority agenda items, and uh, we can turn to the priority issue areas, but I'll pause here to see if there's discussion of any of what I've just uh, shared with you. Yeah, why don't we do a round of questions here. So, um, commissioners, any questions or comments on the priority agenda? Okay, I will jump in then. Oh, you, okay, Commissioner Hasegawa. Um, I'm wondering if there's a way for us to be able to follow bill tracking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so there's there's my weekly report to the to the, the commissioners, which I send, sadly on. Saturday afternoons or Sunday mornings. <laughs> uh, I, I actually kind of enjoy it, but um, oh, that's th even there is a uh, there there is a bill tracking program that I use, which uh, you know honestly I use the state's ledge.wa.gov website as a advertisement for anybody who wants to just do their own bill tracking. It's a relatively arcane website, and our graduate intern last year, the, arguably her greatest contribution was introducing me to a new, much more effective bill tracking website. I think that one I could probably share a regular update with you of our priority bills, and it would tell you what committee they're in, when they're, you know, what their cutoff date is. So that's, that's a good suggestion. I haven't done that before. It's always just been through my you know, nine-page narrative, good luck finding the bill you're looking for memo. So uh, I think we could probably improve that with the bill tracking. So oh, I, I'll My thoughts that. are that the um, POC Legislative Summit is happening again, I think, for the third time um, later on next month. 
And the item relating to reducing the local match, the three to one match for community improvements would be of great interest to communities of color in particular, and the CBOs and the nonprofits serving and representing those communities of color. And so it might be, if there was an old bill that died, it might be worth flagging. And if you could resurrect that one for me, I'd be happy to make sure that that's represented in the POC legislative summit. That's great, yeah. Especially, I mean, and, and again, I, I mentioned that one of the challenges with that bill is that it has a relatively small universe of supporters. Anything we can do to expand the, yep. the, the people interested, I think That's what we're here for. Yeah, that's that's okay. great. <clears throat> and then my other question is about siting. I had understood that Governor Inslee had announced three tentative locations for hydrogen production in Washington State. Is that not accurate, or do you have insight on that? You know, dang. <laughs> No, I know you, I, I, I'm familiar with the news you're referencing. I, I'm not familiar with how that relates to the broader conversation about potential legislative changes. It may still be that even with locations in mind, there, there are, are things that could be done to make it easier to get them cited. We've had a few facilities try to, um, you know, go through the state's energy permitting process and not be successful. Mm -hmm. And so it may be that even with sites identified, there should be changes. But I can I can get back to you about the actual hydrogen sites because I know I remember the news release that you're referencing, but I, I'm not sure I know exactly where they are. Well, I appreciate your bringing up how we should be sensitive to the siting issue, and similarly at the Port of Seattle, we should be sensitive to what we can do to site within our own jurisdiction places to be able to safely store and transport uh, clean fuels. Thank you. And I, I um, also just on that note, I think hydrogen will continue to be a, a real focus. I've heard a ton about it from legislators over the interim. Obviously, there was legislation which we supported last year that was intended to promote in-state development and deployment of hydrogen. So I think that'll be another area where we'll be, be able to play this session too. Okay, my final thought is then when we're headed to Kobe, Japan in a couple weeks here and we're seeing um, what you know they've been able to identify in their location, those are lessons learned that we can be you know looking out for and bring back with us <clears throat> and i'm relatively certain there's a few state legislators going along with you too so hopefully we can get some shared lessons learned out of that well, and, and just to contribute to that conversation i i do know that uh the effort uh, the northwest effort sort of official state effort to be one of the hydrogen hubs is not the only possible way of of uh, introducing hydrogen and i Having spoken with a couple of folks in state government about it, it does sound like there are some private interests who are thinking they might just attempt to do it on their own. Uh, and I think there's there's an, an effort to try to herd cats, keep everybody kind of focused on the same programs because these things do benefit uh, when they're done together. But uh, so I think that may be some of the confusion too. I have heard reference to the private side. I think that this this all for me falls into the the general category of a really good problem to have. There's so much energy at the legislature right now about funding the next generation fuels, energy sources. And so there's a, some conversation about what it will be and where it will be. But it's just at this point, after several years of trying to get those bills through, we're all, I think, just glad that it's happening. Commissioner Mohammed, do you have any questions? I did have a question about um, the quiet sound program. I know that the Alliance has this as a priority. Um, and Eric, I know you you mentioned um, us supporting their agenda. Is this one of those items that um, has been discussed by 
by both courts? Yeah, I've talked about this with my counterpart at the Alliance, and they'll be part of our uh, advocacy with the legislature. So um, I, I, I knew it was on their list. I haven't had any meetings with, with legislators that's, that they've been at yet. We're, we're just entering our first round of legislator meetings, but we are including them in our advocacy for sure. Great. That was my only question. And thank, thank you, you for Commissioner. Your Executive Director Metric. Uh, Mr. President, I just wanted to go back to Commissioner Hasegawa's comments about energy, and you know, uh, Eric didn't even meant, didn't even catch the fact that he said there's a lot of energy about the energy issue. So, <laughs> so but but I just wanted to point out that is a priority for us, not just on the state uh, legislative agenda, but overall, including that uh, the trip to Kobe, getting further of their experience with hydrogen. But for us, it's it is a major focus for us in all of our programs, looking at, all, at the uh, energy value chain and how we can assist in all aspects of that. In, the, in our state legislative, that informs, but also our federal informs that as well, legislative agenda. Thank you. And what, what, one other observation before letting the commission president finally speak. Um, we've had a chance to go with delegations to look at places that are doing a good job on maritime decarbonization. I know you all have too. I think there's really no substitute for having folks see the work in the ground. Uh, I know that, that the Seaport Alliance had tours this summer with senior advisors to the governor looking at their decarbonization work. We've, we've done some of that on the crew side as well. So I think there's anytime we can, we can see what needs to be done, the legislators can see what needs to be done, it helps advance the conversation. Uh, so one of my comments was to exactly that point. We've got the trip coming up to Kobe where there will be uh, an element of, you know, looking at these alternative maritime fuels potentially. We're also working on a trip to Copenhagen in the spring that would include a visit to the uh, Zero Emission Shipping Center where uh, a lot of the pioneering work is done, particularly for uh, shipping carriers, but that would also translate over into crews. So thinking about that, um, Pacific Climate Collaborative, I guess it's being called, we may want to consider um, inviting other stakeholders on that trip, both as an opportunity to, to get that you know, on-the-ground observation, meet with the scientists who are doing cutting-edge work on these fuels, but then also to, to uh, build up some of those relationships that would be required you know, if we're talking about shipping strings that are coming out of Asia and then calling on each of our ports. We, we ought to be coordinated in the approach that we're taking. On the other topics that you mentioned, um, it's timely, the conversation around how are we creating workspaces that are uh, welcoming to folks who historically have not participated in maritime. There was a survey out this morning from WISTA, which is a, an organization that focuses on bringing women into seafaring and transportation logistics. And uh, it continues to be an enormous problem for women uh, in the workplace, you know, on ships, basically, where they're facing harassment um, and other forms of gender discrimination on board. And so uh, something for us to continue to, to push on at the state level and in the jurisdictions where we have some influence, even if we can't, we aren't a regulator in that space. Um, the, um, on siting, I heard some wisdom uh, as we think about the urgency of the need to develop uh, renewable energy facilities in our state. Uh, I think the, um, the approach needs to be that everyone has a say, but no one has a veto. And that's a hard balance to strike, um, but we are in a climate crisis and we need to uh, 
proceed at full haste to get these things done, to be able to turn off the uh, fossil fuel facilities that are uh, causing us to spend a month in, in smoke haze here in Seattle and uh, in much worse conditions in places around the world. So, uh, and then my final um, comment or actually question for you, Eric, is as we look at the uh, revenue that's being generated by um, and the credits through the LCFS and the CCA, just high level, what are the criteria that the decision makers, the legislators and others are going to use to determine how we how the state spends that money. Is it lowest hanging fruit in terms of GHG reduction? Is it uh, public agencies first, private entities second? How are they determining how are they going to, and, and knowing that this isn't just a one-off billion dollar fund, it's, it's an ongoing enormous source of funds to make this transition. Uh, and um, so I think for us to really understand which of our projects and our programs are going to be best suited for um, securing this kind of funding might be helpful. Yeah, I'll answer that as um, fully as I can, not not being in the room with the policymakers myself. But um, on the one hand, there are enough buckets within the CCA uh, Climate Commitment Act um, expenditure targets, or you know the the. the Move Ahead Washington Transportation Package included as well to prevent too much um, competition. So there's there's active transportation funding. There's funding for electrification. There's funding for um, communities that that typically are hardest hit by pollution. So I think we have different projects that would fit in each of those. Uh, electrification is a huge bucket within the CCA, more than 500 million unspent so far. And I think within that within that um, we've heard feedback from legislators that they want to pursue the, you know, biggest dollar value per dollar, biggest carbon reduction per dollar. And on that score, I think port heavy-duty decarbonization, either port facilities or cargo handling equipment serving our facilities, um, have the have the sort of highest dollar value impact. So I think we compete well, but there is enough funding for single occupancy vehicle, passenger duty, medium duty vehicles to compete as well. Um, within the low carbon fuel standard, the rulemaking, um, some of that remains to be seen. I know one issue that you've spoken with some lawmakers about is um, sustainable aviation fuel. That right now, as originally conceived in the rulemaking, that was a, a tier two fuel, meaning it, it's, it's, it wouldn't, SAF would not be immediately eligible to earn credits. We've tried to speak in one voice to the Department of Ecology about updating that in the rule to make it a tier one fuel. That's an example of a prioritization we'd like to see change to promote the deployment of some of the heavy duty fuels. So I, I think that what I'm saying is that there are some priorities set, but there's still some priority setting to be done. And so I'm thinking of it as us presenting our projects for the buckets in which they best fit and making the best case for them and then letting the policymakers decide what what merits funding but like I said there, there's a ton of funding out there there was just an article which you shared with me last week in the Times about even higher receipts than expected so I think we'll be able to um, work with the state on funding for, for maritime and, and port facility decarbonization um, while seeing our partners be successful too and as you shared this morning the it is an odd um, circumstance where this new funding is coming in more abundantly we anticipated yeah. and yet the state is anticipating a, a leaner 
a tougher budget cycle for them than they had originally thought because of basically because of inflation. And so I wonder too if um, you know we've seen it in years past. Uh, uh, 2020 tantamount amongst them, where halfway through session, they're getting budget revisions that are wholly altering their approach. And so I think um, the we should also plan for what it would be like to be in session at the start of a recession, what that would mean for our priorities. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to reflect. We, we do have a few budget asks in here. You know, I, I referenced Quiet Sound, for example. It's a relatively small dollar amount, but, but when the legislature's having to balance the budget themselves, it's a sensitive conversation to have. So I expect that, that we'll have to face that when we, when we meet with legislators and, again, just make the case for why this is a, a good return on investment for the state. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with those differing revenue streams for sure. All right, do you want to proceed? Yeah. I have a quick, have a quick question, um, sorry, Eric, regarding um, the environmental priority areas, but I know that it's going to come up at a later point, so I can hold my question for then, or I could talk to you about it now. Yeah, I think what I'm going to do in our 20 minutes remaining is, is run through the summary slides and then... Um, the, the second to last slide is energy and environment. So if you want to cover it then, that might it might just make the most sense in context. Sounds good. Okay, sweet. So Michelle, thanks. Um, so quality jobs and small business is our first priority issue area. It covers a lot of ground. I can highlight a few of the things that we've advocated for in this area. Uh, of course, worker training um, in port-related industries was one of the first things I worked on when I got here, clarifying that's within our statutory authority. It remains a matter of enduring interest. I know, for example, many of you have been um, <clears throat> interested in the, the fate of the Seattle Maritime Academy. Um, there's a lot of state legislative interest on that, so I expect us to be involved in whatever solution comes forward to that this session. Um, and then under small business, great example of our executive team being engaged. This modification to the last bullet to, to change the language to specifically small business capacity building and SMWBEs competing in the marketplace was recommended by our Director of Economic Development and put forward here as a proposed revision that's not a change in policy, just a change in, in how we describe our priorities. Um, next slide. Uh, another good example of how this agenda comes together is the top bullet here. Uh, I referenced removing all of the sort of specific priorities within the transportation revenue package, but preserving the long-held transportation priorities we have here. State Route 518 leads from I-5 to the airport. It is um, a, a really good advertisement for how busy SEA ha has become. Anybody's tried to pick up a, a loved one on uh, Thursday to Sunday evenings. I can't recommend light rail strongly enough, um, but we do need to, to improve that roadway. It is not just of interest to us, but has been of interest to the communities alongside that roadway. So I am including it here. WashDOT did a study a few years ago of improvements to 518 that could be that could come forward to make modest mobility gains, and we think those should be pursued. But I have heard feedback um, from commissioners that this should be something we pursue with partners. So we will be working to identify other partners in the community that would like to see those as well uh, before putting them forward to the legislature. And then, um, of course, the Puget Sound Gateway Program, to which we've contributed substantial funding and which is um, potentially opening here in the next couple of years, providing real mobility gains in the south 
County um, and, and huge freight mobility gains from the warehousing sectors over to the ports. So, so that is almost done and might come off our agenda next year. It's a good example of um, the transportation and competitiveness area. And uh, Michelle, if you could advance the slide. So the second half of the transportation and competitiveness area really focuses on, on land use. We like to say uh, that, that land use is a transportation issue and transportation is a land use issue. Um, Commissioner Hasegawa and, and Calkins have both been involved recently in discussions with the City of Seattle about land use. Um, I'm proposing the inclusion of a, of a bullet here that you see described as reduced gentrification pressure on critical industrial lands mm. by focusing residential development in existing residential areas. Um, this may be familiar to those of you who are familiar with our advocacy with the city on the preservation of our, our manufacturing industrial centers. It's relevant in Olympia too. The legislature last year considered legislation related to single family zoning and whether or not there could be increased density within the single family zone. Uh, it may not seem an area where the port is a, a classical player, but we see it as deeply connected to the need to preserve the lands that have long been preserved for the purposes of industrial uh, economic development. And we think that that is, like I said, relevant in Olympia too. So I'm proposing the inclusion of that here. You can pause if there's any discussion or we can discuss all at the end. Um, Keep plowing through. Okay. So the energy and environment issue area is a big one. In fact, it covers two slides. Um, not a ton of change here. You see a few of our old favorites, the Model Toxic Control Act. We, we have received state funding consistently for environmental cleanups. Again, cleanups where we're putting our money toward it, but the, but the state contributes as well. We'll continue to work with Department of Ecology to ensure the funding of their list. And of course, programs directed at Puget Sound Health includes the um, Quiet Sound program. Um, the Volkswagen settlement language I'm actually proposing to remove in the next version of this agenda, which you'll be asked to approve on November 8th, uh, not because we don't care. In fact, we've received, quite, we've received some funding from that, and we've seen other partners receive funding as well. But um, we think that, especially with, with new climate money coming online, that, that's less of a focus this year, and, and we, we are not likely to pursue additional VW settlement funds. So we're going to recommend removal of that. And there's one other modification to call out on the next slide, Michelle, the second slide of the energy and environment issue area. Again, I, I'm nothing if not a, just a partner to our actual operational divisions. And uh, this first bullet has always said support for sustainable aviation technologies. And our maritime friend said, what about us? <laughs> and uh, especially as I referenced earlier with the focus on maritime decarbonization, what the next generation fuel or technology will be that gets us to our goals on the water side, um, recommending amending that bullet to include sustainable aviation and maritime technologies. And then um, finally, before turning to uh, questions, the, the last slide is, is unchanged. This is our um, sort of miscellaneous slide that reflects some issues that have come forward. Obviously, cybersecurity is an evergreen priority for a, an operator of critical infrastructure. Uh, broadband deployment remains a huge focus for, for small and medium-sized port districts, in typically in more rural areas, but, but over in the Puget Sound region as well. So we, we love to see the gains made by our port partners there. And then I know human trafficking has been a big priority for, for several of you. We've, we've had some really good partnerships on this, and so we're always on the lookout for more things we can work on with the state in that area. Um, and then just briefly on, on next steps. So briefing you all today, seeking 
um, your adoption on November 8th. Um, key legislative meetings in the latter half of November, early part of December, and then the first day of session is January 9th. Um, uh, I will absolutely bring you all down. It looks like Ports and Maritime Day is likely to be February 2nd. Haven't confirmed that yet. Uh, and then the potential signy die April 23rd or, or right about there after 105 days of good work. And uh, I'll let Commissioner Cho reflect on whether we're going to get out on time this year with all of his time spent in Olympia. But one can always hope. We've had successive years of adjourning on time. So that's the goal again this year. I certainly hope so, because April 24th is actually my birthday. So, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you could spend it in Olympia. <laughs> so thank you. That, that concludes my presentation, but I'd I love to discuss some of what we just ran through on the priority issue areas or other questions you might have. Commissioner Mohammed, do you want to start off? Sure. Uh, thank you, Eric. Um, I guess I should start with asking... Um, a process question, Eric, when will you bring this back to us for a vote? The, it's currently scheduled for November 8th. And so November 8th. there are, since I highlighted a few things on here, like for example, the VW change didn't get made in this version. So what I'll do is before um, you see this on the agenda for a vote, I will share with each of you a final updated version with notes about what changed between this version and the final version. And then, yeah, the, the vote is scheduled for November 8th. Okay. I'm trying to avoid making some assumptions here. So I haven't spoken to a number of lawmakers um, about like just our legislative priorities. And I'm assuming you'll be engaging in conversations um, in t up, up until November 8th. Um, I'm wondering about, um, when I look at our environmental section, I don't see anything related to community health. And I am wondering about lawmakers that live, um, that um, have constituencies that are living near air airport and port facilities and uh, what some of their priorities are around um, air quality monitoring, air quality in schools, um, and if they have some priorities that we could uplift and support and have like some sort of collaboration there, um, you know, I, I would like, I'd like to see us support things like the University of Washington study that they did, um, where it showed communities around SeaTac airport, um, were exposed to unique mix of air pollution. And so I, I'm just, I'm wondering, um, if there will be conversations with lawmakers uh, who whose districts are near port facilities, and um, if there are opportunities for us to include health health equity as part of our legislative priority, that is something really important um, I, to me, and, I, and I'm sure a lot of other commissioners and. Um, it's it's an important issue, especially right now, considering just how bad our air quality is. And plenty of studies have showed that, you know, um, people are impacted differently. Um, there's a disproportionate impact on communities of color, folks who are living in poverty. Um, some studies point to those, you know, folks who live near highways and airports and things like that. And so I'd like to see us include health equity as um, a part of this uh, legislative agenda. 
That's that's great feedback. I can say first off, um, we sh we should and can and and will based on your feedback and and I think assent from other commissioners add the word words health equity to our energy and environment section. We have um, we've we've engaged previously. I think based on the language in the agenda that suggests our support for reduced carbon and air pollution. Th these bullets don't include all the language. Uh, I can share the full document with you, but we have language about reduced emissions from port operations. Um, but we've never, we've never described it in terms of health equity before, so I'd be happy to add that. You, you referenced the UW study. We did support that and actually were, were partial funders of it. Uh, in its initial form. Uh, more recently, I know Representative Orwall worked to secure funding for actual installation of filters in a certain number of schools. And I don't know the status of that effort, but if you like, I could get feedback from Representative Orwall before I bring this back to you on the 8th and, and try to get you some specific information in case there's, in case she's bringing funding forward again. But as for adding health equity, I think we absolutely can add that here. So I will take that for, for feedback. Yeah, Eric, um, that would be great. And as you're engaging, in, I know I've, I've had meetings with you and other uh, lawmakers. Um, I'd love to, to join you in a meeting with Representative Orwell and Senator Karen Kaiser around this, um, just to make sure that we're not, you know, our, our priorities are, are complementing each other. Yeah, that'd be great. We, we um, typically, after adoption, set up meetings with the you know 15 or 20 legislators with whom we work most closely which definitely includes uh, representative Orwell and Senator Kaiser and then um, Commissioner Calkins as Commission president will either join those or delegate to other commissioners and so we'll, we'll um, be running those by you all in the next three to four weeks as they get added to the schedules and uh, I should have said earlier the Senate and House committee days are the 29th and 30th of November and 1st of December I believe and so that will be, I think a lot of the meetings will be concentrated around that time in, in case we can do multiple meetings on the same day in Olympia. So yes, absolutely, you'll be in those meetings and, and we'll make these updates to the agenda. Thank you. Commissioner Cho. Yeah, Eric, thank you so much for the presentation, the thorough um, materials. I wanted to ask you um, about cold ironing. You may have attempted, uh, anticipated, you know, you know, I had many conversations about how maybe we can do something on the state level. Curious to get, get your updates and thoughts on uh, moving forward with some of the ideas that you and I tossed around. So I, I think what I shared with you is that I've had questions from, from, from legislators about what ports are doing um, on broadly on maritime decarbonization. But I have had the question about whether or not we require ships to plug in, whether we should. Um, I, I've not heard of any legislation coming forward with any kind of a, a mandate from the state. But what I've shared in those conversations is that um, I think the state could act as a, you know, to put in place an incentive for ports who might not otherwise be planning to do it or for ports who are. And what, what I really think, and what I think you agree, is that, that some, some subset of the carbon money should be dedicated to maritime decarbonization. And I think that would help promote it with, with people like us who are doing it and with ports who, who maybe don't have it in their plans. Um, so I don't know of any legislative proposals, but I do know that um, a group of ports are talking about whether or not we could pursue carbon money together as a package, as we did last year where we had an infrastructure package. And that, that I think will be the most um, potentially relevant concrete item related to cold ironing. Awesome, thank you. Thanks. Commissioner Hasegawa. Um, 
Can you explain about um, the uh, priority issue area under governance, oppose legislation that would create an imbalance of representatives between the two home ports in their governing of the NWSA? and further advocate that any legislative proposal that would alter the previously voter-established governance structure of either home port include ratification by citizen vote. Is there something that's circulating? No. There was for several years. For, I think, in 17 and 18, there was legislation put forward which would have expanded the size of the Port of Seattle Commission to nine members um, rep elected by district rather than at large. Um, we opposed that legislation on the grounds that we had opposed it every time it had been brought forward before it had been brought forward s several times over the previous years. Um, but it's part of what gave rise to the legislative agenda. There were questions about whether we opposed it because of um, long-held policy or whether we opposed it because we decided without the benefit of public transparency. So we put it on our legislative agenda as an accountability mechanism in case that came forward again. Um, the reason it references the, the, home, the Seaport Alliance is, in the end, that legislation was um, put down because, the, the, honestly, there were folks who were concerned that if there were nine Seattle commissioners and five Tacoma commissioners, and the Seaport Alliance was only two years old at the time, so there were concerns that it would sort of destabilize how we govern the Seaport Alliance. Mm -hmm. It's remained on our agenda um, because that's still how we feel. There hasn't been legislation related to the governance of either port put forward, I think, in three or four years. So we could remove it if you if you would recommend that. But I think it's just it's it's sort of on there almost for historical reference. Um, but it hasn't been relevant to our legislative program in the last couple of years. Okay, thank you. I don't have a recommendation to remove. Okay. it, but thanks for clarifying. Thanks for the question. And my last question, switching gears. Um, relates to policing. So the challenges that we've been talking about facing our own police force here at the Port of Seattle are not unique to the Port of Seattle. It's There's staffing shortages impacting departments across Washington State. Now, rightfully, the voters of Washington State demanded that police receive higher minimum standards of training across the board, including in de-escalation and crisis intervention, uh, cultural competency. I think we need to pair that uh, with resources for the CJTC to be able to properly be able to administer those trainings in a timely fashion. Currently, there's a tremendous backlog in officer training. It's something that I think that you should add as a bullet point under quality jobs, okay. just to follow, just to be mindful of, just because there's such a tremendous implication for our own workforce. That's it. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Do you know if the, um, I, I, it's interesting, I haven't heard specifically about funding at CJTC, although I've been f following CJTC's work. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you, other local governments are going to be putting forward as well or that you've heard about from other in other corners? I think it's an ongoing conversation about how we're going to be resourcing the CJTC. And they have relatively new leadership there with um, Monica Alexander now as a new executive director. And I know that Governor Inslee is going to be looking really critically and making sure that the different agencies, including the CJTC, are going to have the resources that they need to optimize state government operations. And actually, I know Captain Alexander from when she was at the State Patrol, so maybe I'll check with her and see, because I think that would that makes perfect sense to me logically, so I'll, I'll she was the first black it. woman to earn the rank of captain at the Washington State Patrol. Cool. Yeah, she's a tremendous leader in good hands. Very good. Thank you for that. 
Just a couple of comments, uh, and then Executive Director Metric, I'll turn to you for any comments before we conclude. Um, the first is that uh, somebody might read through this and note that their discussion of the sighting of a second commercial airport in, in western Washington is conspicuously absent from this, <laughs> and that that's not accidental. We didn't just forget, but that we have uh, we aren't chiming in on that for reasons, uh, not least of which is that we have been uh, participating on the advisory panel as, a, as technical experts through Jeffrey Brown and that we feel like that's work the state should do and that we should not be uh, interfering from an advocacy standpoint on that particular question. Any, any thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, no, I, 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 um, I'm glad you gave me the chance to make reference to it. Um, arguably, it's not on here because the state's actively working on it and it's not due back to the legislature until June of 2023. That group is making a recommendation, I think it is June 15th, 2023, that it's due. And after that, it may be that the state is wondering who's going to run the next airport or will, how will it be related to SEA and, and their operations. But right now, you know, in, in our issue areas, we say clearly that we, we need to focus on the efficient functioning of our facility, and, and that's actually key to the work being done by the commission. Their, their interim recommendation includes ensuring that SEA accomplishes our development goals because of the capacity that can be accommodated at our facility. And so, um, I think technical expertise is the best thing we can offer to that process right now, and it's at a critical moment, and so I think we'll be asked about it, but as far as a legislative item, I think next year would be the earliest that it would be, be back before the legislature. And then the second topic is, um, as I think everyone knows, I'm very interested in, in uh, the emergence of floating offshore wind as a renewable energy source on the Pacific Coast. And uh, you and I have spent a lot of time talking about whether there's anything appropriate to add to the legislative agenda this particular year. And for a couple of reasons, we're not calling it out specifically um, for any sort of advocacy. Uh, first is, and, and just sort of contextualization, uh, as of December 6th, the, um, the call areas in California will be up for bid and, and we'll know within a couple of days um, whether those were auctioned off or not. It's, our understanding is they will likely go for very high numbers and and uh, we'll probably initiate some conversations around what that looks like to serve an enormous industry in California that um, will not uh, will we'll rely on supply chain support from around the Pacific. Uh, California will need support from our partners in Asia and from Puget Sound ports and likely from uh, partners in the supply chain up and down the coast. So. I think there's a lot of prep work we should do um, as both an economic opportunity and uh, because we care about uh, introducing renewable energy as quickly as possible. A big part of that will be workforce development. And so because our legislative agenda already addresses the need to be supporting workforce development in maritime, we think we've got it covered for the most part. That's the most urgent first thing. And uh, we know of many partners in Washington who are already thinking about whether it's labor unions or uh, agencies that do certifications and trainings. Uh, and so we're going to continue to support those agencies in their efforts to stand up workforce development in anticipation of this industry that's going to come along quickly. And of course, it also means um, the uh, opportunity for new business in areas where we already have a, a strong presence, things like uh, in our shipbuilding um, where uh, a lot of they're going to need new vessels and they're also going to need the platforms and some of that may be done in Washington and so we want to support that uh, but as of right now we don't think there's a, a particular legislative ad and I ask and I also want to add that um, 
that our focus has been entirely on the Oregon and California markets, which um, I know there's parallel conversations going on around Washington uh, coast siting. We're not involved in those. We aren't. That's not what we're advocating for. What we're talking about is how do we support this enormous industry that's coming and the scale of it, just to kind of put some numbers on it. What California and Oregon have said is their target by 2035, just 13 years out, uh, would require them to build about 1,800 foot tall turbines. Uh, and in order to do that, they're going to have to also build the platform, which is the more complicated and expensive part of the equipment. And so they're going to need all hands on to, to make sure they get to these. So there's an opportunity for Washington State to really benefit from the the, the uh, California and Oregon offshore wind industries, but we need to get started now. So that's why we're focusing on it. Yeah, I would only say that our, you know, our agenda references the need for clean energy development in multiple spots and it makes multiple references to support for port related industries so as we've discussed you know there's state interest in training up the next generation of an offshore wind workforce if there's any conversation about that in olympia we could we could easily weigh in and i think it's an appropriate place for us to be involved executive director Thanks, Mr. President, and uh, thanks for all that feedback and those comments. One area that I just want to comment on as well, and of course it's always good to make a suggestion on the fly as we're in this, but <laughs> as we look at the workforce, we've identified some of those, uh, those needs, as you said, in the maritime industry that supporting those efforts. Policing, also the, the capacity throughout the state for those is a great thing for us to support. One that I want to highlight, too, is also STEM and engineers. As we look at our own needs going into the future, and I don't know, Eric, we haven't talked about this specifically, the throughput from our uh, state universities and, and colleges to meet that demand is something I think we should have on there because we know ourselves. And when I talk to all of our um, partner agencies out there, everybody has a shortfall of engineers and other things going forward. So I just think that should be part of our agenda as well. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, I like that. I'll take that suggestion, and, and like I said, before you see this document again, I'll make sure it reflects some of the feedback we've got today. Well, and, and as a segue, we are going to hear from four students today at our regular public meeting from here at Aviation High School, also at Maritime High School, where STEM is baked into the curriculum in such a way that it's getting kids excited about STEM careers, so uh, more opportunities like that. All right, that concludes our study session this morning. The time is currently 11.07. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us for the study session. We'll reconvene at noon for the regular business meeting. We are adjourned. Thank you.